Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, sitting at my kitchen counter in the Chicago suburbs, and I am so glad that you are tuning in today. I hope everyone has had a great holiday season with the Thanksgiving and that your turkey wasn't too dry and and that everyone enjoyed the food and fellowship. And we're kind of continuing that theme today with our guest, uh, Shauna Nequist, who is the author author of Bread and Wine, A Love Letter to Life Around the Table with Recipes. And I have loved reading Shauna's book, and and she really helps us get a sense of creating, um, just creating traditions around the table and and how life in in a really unique way kind of revolves around food and creates taste memories. So I'm so excited for you to to meet Shauna today. So Shauna Nequist, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is great. And I love, Shauna, your your book and the the theme that, that... that just really entwines through it, that that setting the table and sitting around the table is really about creating family moments or moments with friends and, and, and just creating those taste memories for food. And you so eloquently describe all the different, um, I guess, highlights and lowlights in your life and, and kind of pair it with a special recipe that, that captures that moment in your life. And, and I'd love to, to start off with the blueberry crisp. Could you share that story and, and the, the special taste memory of the, the blueberry crisp? Sure. Well, you know, I grew up um, outside Chicago in this area, and uh, but we would always spend our summers in South Haven, Michigan, where both my parents spent their summers when they were little. And South Haven, Michigan is the blueberry capital of the world. I know that people in Maine will tell you different, but <laughs> I have it on good authority that it's South Haven, Michigan. And so... Um, every summer we would pick blueberries and we would have all these memories of coming home from the lake, ready to start school again. We would spend our whole summer up there and my mom would have boxes and boxes of blueberries that we'd been picking all summer and she would, we would, she would wash them all and sort them all and bag them up um, so that all year round we would have blueberries from the lake. And um, she was a really healthy cook and I love this about her. I did not appreciate it when I was little, but I totally appreciate it now. Um, and we, we are not a family that has a ton of family traditions, especially not a ton of family traditions around food. Um, but this was one on Sunday night, we would have a special occasion where we would get to do our homework in front of the TV because we would watch the bears game together. Um, and my mom, instead of making dinner for dinner, we would have blueberry crisp with, with ice cream. And it was the same blueberry crisp and these blueberries that she had frozen so that we could eat them all year long. And so when I think about the food, uh, the, the taste or the flavors that bring me right back to my childhood and to the home that I grew up in, it's this blueberry crisp that we would have every Sunday night. 
that is in, in our there any special preparations for this blueberry crisp that you can share with the listeners to, to really help it make become a taste memory for them as well? Well, the, what I tried to do with this kind of updated recipe was two things. I read this little book that we keep uh, up at my parents' cottage, and it said it had a recipe for fruit crisp or fruit crumble. And it said the way to do it is to, when you're freezing the fruit, pre-measure it um, according to the pan that you want to use, and then make up crisp topping and pre-measure that as well, and just stick them both in the freezer. And so then, let's say you have guests coming over in 30 minutes and you didn't plan on anybody, you've got everything you need, the two components for this crisp, already frozen uh, and, and measured out. And so that's what we do. I measure out, I know which pans I want to use for the crisp, and I pre-measure it and label it on my Ziploc bag. And I do the same thing with the crisp topping. So then, you know, for a couple months out, I have everything I need for last minute crisp. And the great thing uh, about this particular recipe that's in bread and wine is my husband eats gluten free. And so a lot of times there are recipes like a crisp or a crumble where, you know, a cake, basically all flour. So to make a great gluten free cake is pretty tricky. But a fruit crisp is only like half a cup of flour anyway. So why don't we just switch that out? So it's a gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, um, sugar-free crisp. It's just uh, nuts, almond meal, oats, uh, maple syrup, and a little bit of salt, uh, plus the fruit. And then there's no sugar mixed in with the fruit. So it's this kind of very clean, um, very light recipe. So we make it for breakfast and for dinner, and we just feel great about it. I mean, it's healthier than cereal for my boys. Um so it's one of those that we just kind of keep in our back pocket all the time. We serve it to guests. We serve it, again, just for the kids. It, we, it's kind of a go-to in our house. And that's great. And I love that you can pre-measure and freeze it and have it ready ahead of time. That <laughs> That is great to know. And thanks for those inside side tips. And, and so many people these days, are, you know, within their homes or themselves, have – I guess we could call it dietary restrictions with some um, with a gluten-free eating and and I have my both of my daughters are vegetarians and have food allergies so it really is kind of challenging and in, in uh, altering recipes but I love what you do in your basic vinaigrette and then that lovely chapter called start where you are but um, how you really um, like to substitute uh, well, you use a virgin oil olive oil for, for a lot but also how you integrate pink grapefruit juice into a basic vinaigrette could you share that with your readers and also a little bit about that chapter of start where you are I love that phrase you know, I think we're in a funny place culturally where so many people are so excited about food, which is wonderful. We have all these, you know, specialty food shops and farmer's markets and all these cooking shows and, you know, lots of new kitchen stores. I love that. That's totally up my alley. But at the same time, I think sometimes that inadvertently communicates to people that if you're going to make a meal, you need like one of everything from William Sonoma. You need a culinary degree. You need a restaurant grade kitchen that that uh, only that, that it's such a specialized skill that only some people can do it. And I found that that's really not the case. And specifically, when I talk to mostly women who are like my grandma's age, they kind of, you know, come up to me and whisper. They're like, hey, we used to all know how to do this. This is not crazy. <laughs> uh, and they're right. Um, women of my grandma's generation grew up cooking from scratch all the time and hosting people around their tables quite often. And I think um, – I love that now we live in a time when women can do so many different things, but I also, of all the different things I want to do, I want to do that too. 
Um, it's really important to me that our home is a place where people can get fed homemade food and that they can spend time around the table. So all that to say, it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of learning a couple skills along the way. And I remember having a friend. We were, uh, she was living in France at the time, and I went to visit her. And we were making lunch together. And I don't know what. I, maybe I was washing salad leaves or something. And I watched her just sort of out of the corner of my eye. I was like, wait a minute. What are you doing over there? And she was making a homemade salad dressing. And it was like, like it blew my mind. Like I had only ever seen salad dressing from the store in a, in a bottle. And so... I did, and I just watched her, and it was so she had no recipe. It was totally nonchalant. She just smashed a garlic clove and streamed in some vinegar and added, you know. It was very uh, intuitive. It was very natural. It, it made sense to her. And so uh, she taught me to make salad dressing. And then I, I realized, you know, it's basically you need an acid, you need an oil, you need an emulsifier, and then you need to add a little bit of flavor. It's totally simple. So I just tend to use extra virgin olive oil because I always have it around. Um, I like balsamic vinegar, but I use a bunch of different vinegars. I usually use a little bit of Dijon mustard just because I love that little bit of kind of that kick of flavor. But I have a couple salads where balsamic would feel a little bit heavy. And so one great um, substitute for, for vinegar is another kind of acid like citrus juice. So I'll use lime juice or lemon juice or pink grapefruit juice against that uh, oil to bring out a little bit of a kind of a fresh citrus flavor. So I find that it's one of those things where as long as you have those very basic building blocks, you can do it just like a million different ways. And that is so neat. And, and to start where you are, because as the listeners know, I am a horrible home cook, and I'm, I know I'm midlife and kind of starting late in this journey. But um, the small starts, small steps, and starting where you are. And, and this summer, I have to share this with you, Shauna, it's so neat. A dear friend of mine bought a lemon tree for me. And I have this lemon tree sitting in my family room now. It was outside on the deck, but with Chicago weather, it's uh, definitely inside. And it is still blooming. And so for little recipes or even with Perrier or sparkling water, I, I just take a little lemon off my tree that's inside and, and just slice it and, and just make it become flavorful. Cause, so I've kind of created a little tradition by starting where I am. So I love your advice or start where you are. That's, that's such a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the risotto. You know, I find that risotto is one of those things that people are scared of. They love it in restaurants. But they, I think there have been like a couple competitive cooking shows where chefs like yell at chefs about risotto or something. Um, but I find it's like my favorite, homiest. It's like that perfect combination of really easy, but it feels fancy. People feel like you made something unusual for them. And it's another one of those things that's just completely versatile. You can make it a million different ways. You can make it according to different seasons. You can make it vegetarian or not. You can make it vegan or not. So um, it's one of those things that I think seems a little daunting when you look at the techniques, but then once you try it three or four times, you realize like, oh, I can do this, you know, twice a month for the rest of my life. This is an easy one. Yes, and you know, and after and after reading your chapter on the go-to risotto, you've inspired me to actually try this in my kitchen, and and I love 
the passage that you write um, in this go-to risotto uh, chapter of, of your bread and wine book. It's learn little by little, meal by meal, to feed yourself and the people you love because food is one of the ways we love each other and the table is one of the most sacred places we gather. If you feel paralyzed in the kitchen because you don't know the rules or can't make a plan or if you're making a mess, I hope you throw caution to the wind anyway and try a few new things. If you long to entertain but don't feel Martha Stewarty enough for all of that, I hope you dive in and give it a shot anyway, imperfect and nerve-wracking as it be, may be the first few times, and begin with risotto. <laughs> That's great. I, I love that advice. And and also, um, you, you really do feature some recipes from some great, great restaurants, and uh, one very touching and, and poignant chapter, Shauna, which which just grabbed my heart, was the hummingbird chapter. And uh, uh, just I'm a big fan, too, of Chef Art Smith and his wonderful Table 52 uh, restaurant in Chicago. We're so lucky to have that. Can, can you share just a little bit about the poignancy of, of hummingbird and, uh, and just... Yeah, if, for listeners to really get a sense too of how food can can really connect with the things that are going on in our life. You know, um, I, like so many women, um, I uh, I had a really getting pregnant with my son Henry was totally easy, totally no problem, easy pregnancy, easy delivery, uh, easy newborn season, and then. And so I think we thought, okay, now this, this is going to be a part of our life that's easy for us. Uh, I know it's not for many people, but look, it is for us, and we're so thankful. And then um, when we, when I tried to get pregnant a second time, we had just this incredibly heartbreaking five-year period of miscarriage after miscarriage and uh, loss after loss and disappointment after disappointment and some a whole lot of bad test results and a whole lot of – I mean, it was just a mess. And um, – then I, five years after we had Henry, got pregnant again, finally again, and it was still very early, and I was so scared, and any woman who has lost multiple pregnancies knows those first 12 weeks are like the longest 12 weeks of your life. Every day you just wake up like, oh, thank God I'm still pregnant. Let's just try for one more day, you know? And so I was right in the middle of that. I was just newly pregnant and so afraid, and so I wasn't even really experiencing the happiness of it. I was just sort of, yeah, counting the days. Like, can we get through one more day? Can we get through one more day? And in the middle of that, it was Valentine's Day, and we went down to Table 52 with some dear friends, and um, sitting around the table in that just beautiful restaurant, eating this just extraordinary food, and um, meeting Art Smith, and being in the space that he created that's so gorgeous. It was like one of those, it was like I was in a little bubble just for a couple hours. And just for a couple hours, I stopped worrying. And we ate amazing fried chicken and goat cheese biscuits and hummingbird cake. And they do this amazing, um, like, homemade ginger ale. So it's super gingery and strong. And um, while we were there at the table next to us, there was a couple on the table next to, uh, at, at the table next to us that got engaged. And it was just so <laughs> romantic. And, it, you know, as we drove home, I just thought, like, yeah, I know. I don't know if it's going to be okay, big picture. I don't know if this pregnancy is going to be a healthy one. 
but for a couple hours there with people we love around the table, like I felt like a little bit of fresh air and that, that was enough for me. Wow. And, and it's just so, and and just reading your book and listeners, I'm going to leave a link to bread and wine. It's almost like a life memoir sitting around the table where you just share your heart along with recipes that, that have created taste memories and traditions for your friends and family throughout the years. I just love this. And, and I think it's so wonderful too, how, you share your your love of food with your cooking club. Could you tell us a little bit about the cooking club and maybe how listeners can start their own um, cooking club and, and their own homes? Oh, you know, I love to talk about the cooking club. It is like my favorite thing. <laughs> um, so when it, we, uh, about, I think it's probably five years ago now, um, my cousin and I, who's one of my best friends, we said we want to start a cooking club. And... Um, my personality is, is like, well, let's just get get a bunch of people together and just, I don't know, start something. And she's like, sure, totally fine. I've done some internet research. I've checked some books out of the library. There are three or four main schools of thought on how to put together a cooking club. And so, well, you know, so that's how she is and that's how I am. But what we decided to do just for our current season of life and whatever, we said we're going to get together once a month and we're going to cook. We're going to cook largely separate, but then we're going to come together, finish the prep, eat together, talk about what we made, um, and then we'll keep track of the recipes. So we're sort of building our own kind of informal cookbook together. Um, and so the person who hosts it at their home uh, chooses the theme and cooks the main course. Theoretically, that's how it works. It ends up being a little looser than that. But so, for example, we'll decide to do Italian food. And if it's at my house, then I'll decide I'm going to do uh, like an Italian pot roast. And then Amanda will say, okay, I'm going to do a salad. Uh, two or three other girls will say, okay, we'll do pastas. Another girl will say, I'll do a gelato. And so we put together a whole Italian meal, drinks, starters, sides, main, desserts. And we each bring a piece of it. And then we gather around the table and we talk about it. Like, okay, where did this recipe come from? Do you feel like it worked? What was tricky about it? Were there any hard to locate ingredients? Would you do it again? Um, and it sort of becomes the the conversation for the meal that we share. So we've done, you know, Greek food, Japanese food, Italian food, French food. We've done updated comfort food. We've done um, family recipes. We've done all kinds of things, and it has been so much fun. First, because it gets us kind of out of our comfort zones in the kitchen. It gets us kind of trying things that we wouldn't otherwise try. And more than that, I would say, it creates a reason for us to gather around the table and what we've noticed is that over the years, it's become so much more about the relationships around the table than it is about the food. And frankly, there have been times when we've been like, hold on, I need us around the table. I can't cook tonight or I can't cook this week and somebody's going to have to pick up a pizza, but I need us around the table. So the cooking has sort of become secondary. The table has become really an important place for us, those relationships. Oh, it's uh, truly the centerpiece of the home and the kitchen and and the table and and so much happens around the table and and in your book Bread and Wine you share just so many life milestones and and then not necessarily milestones just everyday happenings and and just every, the struggles of of motherhood and 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 just 
things that happen at the table. And even the, I love the, the challenge of how you really challenge yourself to do a marathon. And congratulations. I mean, that is, that is a huge accomplishment. And how you uh, pair the recipe that, that went with the marathon, your taste memory for that. Can you share a little bit about that recipe? Yeah, you know, um, I have never really been an athlete. So training for a marathon was a whole new deal for me. And it was great. I did it with Team World Vision. And if you're ever going to do a long race, uh, even a half marathon, a triathlon, anything that you <laughs> are kind of unprepared for, the only way to do it is with a training team. And um, Team World Vision absolutely got me from that first three-mile run uh, across the finish line six months later. So I'm so thankful to them. But you find along the way that when you're running, you know, say six miles, three nights a week, and then 18 miles on a weekend, you are starving. I mean, you're absolutely <laughs> like, I was like, I was telling Aaron, like, I'm like an 18 year old boy. Like, I am just hungry all the time. Um, and what I craved were these like big, heavy salads. So, like, like not like just greens. I wanted cheese and chicken and nuts and fruit and lots of flavor and a really big dressing. And I wanted like, like a wheelbarrow full of it. <laughs> and there was this restaurant, when we lived in Michigan, there's this restaurant called the Greenwell that I just loved. And they have a Michigan harvest salad. And basically, so you know how if you order anything that's like a, a California burger or a California sandwich, that just means it has avocados on it. If something is Michigan, that means it has dried cherries in it. That's like this, the code for Michigan food, which is great. Oh. So it's Michigan harvest salad. And it's this beautiful salad with mixed greens and walnuts and uh, dried cherries and fresh pears and caramelized onions and lots of goat cheese. And sometimes we put roasted chicken in it. And then it has like a maple balsamic uh, Dijon vinaigrette. And I just, I mean, it's like I made it every day when I was <laughs> I love salads. They're really substantial, especially like you were saying, you're not, you don't love to cook. You're not super experienced at it. I think a, a nice big salad, um, especially if you do just something really simple with it, like a pork tenderloin or chicken or whatever, it can be almost the center point of a meal. Um, and it doesn't require a lot of cooking. And so like just uh, for my, it was my mom's birthday last week and she requested, we were, we did dinner over at her house and she requested like, please bring that Greenwell salad. Oh. <laughs> regular rotation still, even post-training. Oh, that's great. And the recipe is on page 81 of the Bread and Wine book. This is great. That's that's uh, that's another place I can start here, <laughs> to start where you are. This is the, I just love this book. And, and listeners, I, I think you will too, just the juxtaposition of these wonderful recipes and uh, – along with life, just your memoir, and, and quite a life you have led already just at such a young age. Um, I love to, and I am going to try this, your uh, Mar-a-Lago turkey burgers, um, adapted from Oh! the Oprah magazine that you include in your section of the Mayor of the River. <laughs> Could you share a little bit about that taste memory? Sure. Well, you know, the um, the turkey burgers, they really are like my total favorite. Um, I'm not a huge beef eater. I mean, I like it, but I feel like it's really easy to get to the end of the summer and realize like, oh my gosh, I've had a hamburger off the grill every other day. Like this can't be a good idea. <laughs> um, and so I love the idea of turkey burgers, but frankly, they just don't taste 
as good as a beef hamburger, you know, most of the time. If you're looking for like that good meaty hamburger taste, a turkey burger is never going to live up to that. And so what I love about this recipe is it's sort of saying like, no, 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 this is not supposed to taste like a good juicy beef hamburger. This is its own thing. It's got all these crazy ingredients in it. It does require a fair amount of shopping. You have to know that going in. But it's got green apples and scallions and celery and um, uh, chutney, which is like my favorite kind of secret ingredient that makes things just so like flavorful and vibrant. So it's got all this crazy stuff in it. But what it means is it's like this totally different version of a burger, which I think when you spend as much time grilling out as we do in the summer, it's kind of a nice, nice to have a different flavor. And so my brother and I are really close um, and we both have summer birthdays. And so, uh, and we both spend summers still up at the lake. And so whenever I think of his birthday, I think of we're definitely going to go out on the boat and then we're definitely going to have dinner at the cottage. And so we're definitely going to cook on the grill. And um, so when I think of his birthday, I think of these really summery, bright flavors, the Granny Smith apples and the scallions and that uh, mango chutney and just really a fresh, bright set of flavors. So. Yes, and I love also it has a little curry powder and that you don't have to make the mango chutney yourself. You can just pick up and you, you give some good resources. Trader Joe's makes a good mango chutney and, and um, you know, others in, in the food aisle. So I like how you make cooking accessible, <laughs> I guess if you would say that, but delicious. So it's, um, yeah, just wonderful tips. What do you think your your I guess your top tip for home cooks would be? You know, my top tip would be um, don't let the pressure to be a perfect cook or an extraordinary entertainer keep you from gathering people around the table. That's the one thing. Again, I think we sort of think like, oh, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a stellar cook or I'm not like an amazing, I don't have like a million matching tablescape options or whatever. I think in our culture right now, people are desperate to gather around the table. Yeah. I think people are so busy, and I think that busyness makes us so lonely. And I think what people want is to sit around the table and to be heard and seen and loved. And the extraordinary tablescape and the phenomenal food are totally not the point. So I would say if you were to think through right now, like between now and Christmas Day or whenever, um, think through who are the people in my life that might need a little listening, that might need to be seen, that might need to be given a safe place to land. And when can I invite them to spend time around my table? And frankly, if it's takeout, that's good enough. If it's pizza, that's good enough. If it's grilled cheese sandwiches and soup from a can, that's good enough. What I would hate to have happen is people who say, oh, I just, I so badly want to gather people around my table, but I don't have the time or the money or the skills in this season to do it like a superstar, so that I won't do it at all. Right. We right. have um, our small group gathers around our table every week, and we just love it. It's so fun, and um, it's people we really love, and it's, it, we love being able to have both really fun, lighthearted conversations, but also really serious, meaningful conversations. And I realized, so this was two weeks ago, the week before Thanksgiving, and I thought, you know, I know we'll all have Thanksgiving dinner with our families um, the next week, but it kind of feels like I want to do Thanksgiving with these people. They're people I walk with very closely. We know each other's kids. We pray for each other. We support each other. We, I want to do Thanksgiving with them. They're like my family. 
Um, but I was in the middle of a bunch of work trips and I had a bunch of writing deadlines and I just knew like, oh, there is no way I can pull off a Thanksgiving meal. So I am not kidding you. Oh, we were leaving. So it's Thursday night that we meet. We were leaving at 6 a.m. the next morning for a five-day trip to California with our kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm doing math, going like, okay, I can't end up with a sink full of dishes from 11 people. I mean, you know, we leave at 6 in the morning. You know? And so I got an entire Thanksgiving dinner from Whole Foods and a pack of paper plates. And I said, like, I want to do Thanksgiving with you. And this is the only way I can do it. So I hope there's a season in my life where I can cook it from scratch for them. I would love to do that. That would be so fun. But it wasn't going to be this year. And so the Whole Foods made a totally fantastic dinner, and I served it to them on paper plates, and we went around the table and talked about what we were thankful for, and um, it was good enough for us. And I'm so glad that they didn't say to me, like, oh, I'm sorry, if you didn't make it from scratch and serve it on China, we don't have time for this. They said, like, we'll show up no matter what, and we just love being fed, and we love being around the table. So I think that's the biggest thing I would say. The point is the gathering not the perfect food or the perfect tablescape. That That is so well said. The point is the gathering and to come to the table and, and just break bread together and, and uh, just share those those moments um, and create those taste memories and traditions that can be passed throughout family generations. And, and I just love how you are sharing your heart on in this book with recipes and traditions that, that you can can make and share with others. Shauna, do you make um, food gifts for Christmas? Or I'm, I'm just curious <laughs> if you um, if, if you have any food projects that you do as Christmas gifts, and if you could share that and give some of our listeners ideas. You know, the the one the first thing that comes to mind is um, I do a dark chocolate uh, sea salt butter toffee that mm-hmm. I just absolutely love. I don't have a super like sweet sweet tooth. But I love dark chocolate, and I love anything that's kind of that salty-sweet combination. That's totally my favorite. And so um, my cousin one year, we do a cookie exchange with the cooking club girls, and everybody did cookies, but Melody did this dark chocolate sea-salted butter toffee, and I just went crazy for it. Like, I ate it all the first night. Um, And so that's something that I always always keep the ingredients on hand. It's just a bag of dark chocolate chips, sugar, a stick of butter, and a little bit of sea salt. And so then I find that I always have those ingredients. It comes together really quickly. You don't even need a candy thermometer. And I'm a terrible baker. So if I can make it, anybody can make it. Um, so like for teachers, a lot of times, uh, the last couple of years, I do like a, a little bag of the toffee and then a, another gift or, or something like that. So that's kind of my food gift go-to of the season. And that's great. And I think food gifts are gifts from the heart and um, they don't break the bank. And uh, it's, it's just something that I, that I think the recipient really values and appreciates. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, that is great. And I love too how you share at the end of the book, my best entertaining tips with sample menus. This is just a wonderful resource um, across the board and, and just a delightful and a delicious read. <laughs> so listeners, I'm, I'm going to um, have a link in on the website to Shauna's new book, Bread and Wine, and definitely visit her on the website, um, www.shaunaniquist.com, and that's N I 
E-Q-U-I-S-T. And once again, I'll have the links and everything. And Shauna, this has just been so wonderful to chat with you from, you know, my, my kitchen and, and to to learn a little bit more about your traditions and, and cooking. And, and thank you for taking the time to be on Kitchen Chat and, and for sharing uh, the beautiful stories from Bread and Wine and the beautiful recipes as well. Thank you. Totally been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, and listeners, as you are busy, busy this season, please just remember to take a few moments and to sit down for a second and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you. So join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.